Lord, we thank you for uh, the tenderness of your presence here this morning. Even as we lift our worship to you, we thank you for speaking your words of consolation to us. And I ask, Lord, um, for a greater capacity to receive your affections for us, to receive truth into our lives, to receive power to live out your calling upon us. I ask, Lord, for a greater awareness of your presence in our lives day by day. Lord, we so long to follow you, to worship you, to live in obedience. Thank you, God, that you take this as our expression of love to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So just, if you were here last week and remember a single word I said, raise your hand. All right. Just a single, I'm looking for one word. <laughs> All right, for those of you who raised your hand then, I've got, I'm going I'm to throw out a challenge. I want a question. What bothered you about last week? So a question. I talked about the purpose of God in individual lives to make us like Jesus. I did some strange baseball things, you may remember. I talked about uh, the difference between just imitating Jesus kind of at the high points in the miracles which we're called to do and enabled and empowered to do, but also about following Jesus between the miracles and what it looks like to actually live the lifestyle of Jesus, to learn from Jesus in order to be like Jesus. So I'm just wondering if anyone has the guts or memory to ask a question. Just any question about last week. Pam, thank you. This is not a plant, though I do know Pam well. Okay, so Pam's, Pam's question, which I'll answer next week, is um, <clears throat> a little joke there. Pam's question is, how can we know what Jesus did between the miracles if it's not in Scripture? It's a great question because the last thing that we want to do, honestly, is build a theology based on what's not in the Bible, right? You know, uh, we never see Jesus using the restroom, therefore we should never... That doesn't make sense, Right? Um, And what I'm going to say over the next couple of weeks is that we do have clear instructions about the lifestyle of Jesus between the miracles. It's just sometimes we skip over them. And when we highlight those, some of those things like Jesus slipping away to be silent before the Lord, Jesus uh, living with scripture in his heart, Uh, Jesus in a, a, a life of prayer, Jesus in a life of community, some of those very basic disciplines that we might even take for granted, um, we're actually going to focus on. We're just going to put the highlighter on the in-betweens rather than the big elements. Because my my premise here is that it's the in-between times that even Jesus needed to be formed into that perfect obedience. The scripture says that Jesus learned obedience. That's a hard one. It doesn't say he ever got it wrong. (laughs) he's with us in all ways and yet without sin. So he was tempted in all things. So what we're just going to do is, instead of just seeing the healings and the deliverances and the great teaching, we're going to look between the scenes to see the other pieces. It's a great question. And I challenge you, Pam, and everyone, um, and she'll do it. (laughs) If I tell you something that can't be found in the scripture that Jesus did, you get to just stand up and throw a tomato at me. Okay? All right.
Good. Thanks for your question. I may just do this every week, so you might want to listen just so you can look really smart when you ask a question next. Okay. Thanks, Pam. Um, so I talked about God's purpose to, to make us like Jesus, to literally his purpose in each and every one of us, that through our lives we would become more, come more and more to the point where our character looks like the character of Jesus. Our attitudes are like the attitudes of Jesus. Our mindset is like the mindset of Jesus. Our emotional capacity is like the emotional capacity of Jesus, who, by the way, had all the emotions, right? Our, our actions, like what goes through our hands and feet, what we see and do, actually looks like what Jesus saw and did. Um, and then I, I also talked about, there's the individual part, the corporate thing that God is doing, at least these four things, which I stole from Barry, our family pastor, and I love, is that God, while he's making each one of us into the image of Jesus personally and individually, together, in a corporate sense, he's building a house out of us. We're living stones. He's creating a family out of us so that we can love one another and be loved. He's building a body out of us so that we can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. And he's uh, preparing us as a bride for that day when he will come back and we will be one with him for all eternity. So we're, the next couple of months, we're going to be going down those two tracks, the individual becoming like Christ and the corporate, what he's doing with us together, family, house, body, and bride. Um, I'm, I'm not just talking about dreams of change here. Like some of you may uh, have, maybe you have a, a, a physical aspiration in your life and so you put on your bathroom mirror a picture of a perfectly formed human being. And you, and you think to yourself, if you wish hard enough, you too will have 0.012% body fat, right? You will look like that. And the reality that we all know is wishing doesn't make that happen. You don't wish weight away. You exercise weight away. You say no, so weight goes away. You say yes, so weight goes away. You actually uh, um, deplete yourself, exercise yourself, break yourself down so that God will build you back up. That's what happens. And that's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about dreams of change, but actual realignment. Think about a rearrangement of your life in order to go towards what your deepest desire is. And I'm talking about the desire, you know, underneath the new car, the desire underneath the new house, the desire underneath those other things that are perfectly good things, the desire that God's placed in you for eternal, unconditional, never-ending, always satisfying love relationship with Him. That, to rearrange our lives for that type of intimacy with Jesus in the same way that Jesus had that intimacy with the Father. I'm talking about new habits, holy habits, a Jesus lifestyle. The fruit and delight of discipline. Does that sound strange? The fruit, that sounds good. And delight, that sounds good. Of discipline, that sounds different. Right? But they go together. <clears throat> so I said last week, you know, Hebrews uh, 12, for the joy set before him, delight, Jesus endured the cross discipline. He endured the pain, despising the shame even, 
And now he sat down at the right hand of God. It's just funny the way uh, Jesus walked through life. There was discipline and delight smashed together. God and man, fully and completely mystery. And we get to emulate that. There is delight in discipline. Shauna has delight when she worships God by playing the keyboard. And there's a lot that went behind that. I'm, I know people who it's happened to, but I doubt that the Lord just came one day and said, Shauna, I'm going to give you the gift of beautiful music. Bam. She wishes. <laughs> no, discipline and delight, they go together. Um, Luke 6.40, Jesus is talking and he says, um, a student is not above his master. In another translation, the disciple is not, bigger, not, not better than his teacher. But when the disciple is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. And so Jesus is saying, you know, I'm not trying to make you into something more than me, but if you'll walk with me and you'll walk as I walked, you'll become like me. That's the goal. We're not trying to, you know, one-up Jesus in the world. We're just trying to live up to his calling, which is that we would be his image in the world. It's a high calling. It's a great privilege. And we get to be a part of it. Dallas Willard is one of my favorite authors. He died just a couple of months ago, actually. Um, a great teacher on uh, the spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. And just a, a great heart and mind, you know, with a capacity to understand sort of the philosophical roots of our faith as well as the theological roots of our faith. And his books help you put them both into practice. And this is what Dallas Willard says. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. So I had to translate that about 12 times in my brain. I think what he's saying is, we want it, but we want to wish it into existence. We want to look like the body in the, you know, in the picture, but we want to wish it rather than will it. We want it to happen rather than to cooperate with it happening. And that's what a life of spiritual discipline, joy, discipline, and delight all together in following Jesus, that's what it looks like. So I want to define spiritual formation um, because we're going to be talking about it for a couple of months and we all should be on the same page, singing from the same sheet, dancing the same jig, you know. We all ought to be together on this. Spiritual formation is kind of trendy these days. You go into the Christian bookstore, you see a lot on spiritual formation. Lots of uh, definitions out there. You're free to take any one. You can be wrong. It's fine with me. We're going to go with this one. <clears throat> Which I stole from Robert Mulholland, who's a professor at Asbury Seminary. Our definition of spiritual formation, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God for the abundance of our lives and for the sake of the world, for the sake of others. That's, that's the, the uh, definition that we'll be unpacking and we'll be looking at and pulling out of Scripture in the next couple of months. Spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ and it has a result. It's God's glory. It's the abundance, read joy, in our own lives and for the sake of the world. Spiritual formation, us becoming like Jesus, is never so that we can just hold ourselves up as a trophy of God and people would bow to us. It's always so that the love and the power of God can be reflected through us. 
can be manifested through us so that the world actually encounters Jesus when, he, when they encounter us. Sounds pretty heady. I think, it's, I think it's the goal of God in the world. So I'm going to break down for a couple of minutes this definition as we begin. <clears throat> Spiritual formation is a process. Think it's a spirit-driven process. Think journey. Spiritual formation doesn't happen like this. Righteousness happens like this. It does. When you, when you give your life to Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I'm, I need you, I've blown it. I want your death on the cross to be payment for my sins. Come in and cleanse me. At that moment, your righteousness before God is complete. It's instantaneous. Jesus is able to save and deliver once for all. It's instantaneous. Positionally, you're righteous before God right now because of Christ. Conditionally, you know what I mean by that? What we look like every day? Well, that's a little bit more of a process. The Bible talks about it throughout the scriptures as a journey. It's one step after another, getting closer to a goal. So um, Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is one of those psalms that the Israelites would um, actually sing together on their way to uh, one of their worship times. Three times a year they were called to Jerusalem to worship as a community. And so on their way to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. They called them songs of ascent. You know, it's like when you go on a vacation, you know, and you sing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Or... I could probably think of a better song. <laughs> but I can't think of one right now. <laughs> Except that Disney one, but I don't want to go mess with that. Um, this is the song they sang to encourage themselves about what they were doing. We're on a journey to meet God. We're on a journey to meet God. And so Psalm 84, it says this, Blessed is he whose uh, heart... Wait, blessed is he whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. So they're singing this. They're chanting this. They're reminding one another this. Hey, we're blessed because our strength is found in God. And in our hearts, we have this goal. It's a pilgrimage. We're going to God's presence. The place we want to be is in the presence of God. Another translation says this, um, in, whose heart, in, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Zion's a symbol of the presence of God. So what they're saying is this, blessed is the one whose strength comes from God and in your heart there's clear passage to God's presence. An open way to God's presence with no obstacles. When you think highway, you know, we got highways all over the place. In the, in the Old Testament, there weren't such highways. Most paths were like this. They were goat tracks. You know, It doesn't say in whose heart is a goat track to Zion with obstacles and tripping. <laughs> Why is that so funny? <laughs> Think about a highway. Think about, God, how do I cooperate with you to make in my heart a straight shot to God's presence? What obstacles are in my life that keep me from encountering God? I know for so much of my life, I've longed for this deep, intimate walk with God, but I've got all these obstacles. How I think I should be, what other people think of me. Will I do it right? Will I do it wrong? Am I reading the right book, you know? When God just says, look at me. Jesus just says, come to me. 
What would it look like for you to cooperate with God to have a highway in your heart to his presence? Your heart set on a pilgrimage to be like Jesus. We're talking about submission to God in the process. Spiritual formation is a process. It's willingness to enter into the mystery. God, what are you going to do today to make me like Jesus? You know, uh, Ron Vitalis, who I just happened to be looking at, so he, I'll say his name. I can't tell you how many times Ron has said to me, just in our personal interactions, you know, I, I just go out into my job as a salesperson and I just say, God, what are you going to do today? I mean, Ron has, is about the most agendaless person I know who is extremely successful. It's because his goal is not sales. His goal is what's God doing? I mean, it's, I just, I, it just makes me cry thinking about it. I, I want to be as a pastor. God, what are you doing today in the lives of your people? What do you want to do today to make me more like Jesus? <clears throat> Spiritual growth is like physical growth. It's a process, right? It's a process. So just like in physical growth, anyone ever been 10 or 11 years old, right? It's a process. It can sometimes be an awkward process. Things are growing in the wrong proportion in physical growth, right? I mean, we look at our kids, my boys, especially when they were 10, 11, 12, and, you know, it's like, what's going on in their bodies? What do they do at night that all of a sudden they're just emerging as these mountains of manhood, you know? What, what's going on? It's, it's physical growth is spurts of growth and a lot of rest, a lot of sleep. And then these moments of realizing I can do more than I ever thought I could, Right? And then these moments of, of just thinking, I have way too many limbs for this torso. That's physical growth. And spiritual growth is the same way. As in the natural, so often is the spiritual. We grow in fits and spurts. We make choices. We get the, the glory of God comes. And then it's awkward. And then we try and it doesn't work. And then we do nothing and we grow. What? Because it's God who does the work. It's a process. It's, um, it's like water skiing. I'm not going to be as strange as I was last week, but how many of you have water skied? Okay, raise your hands high if you water skied. So I'd say maybe half of us, okay? Some haven't. No, no problem. I'm going to make it perfectly clear. <clears throat> there are a couple of ways that I know for sure you cannot become a water skier. One is you can't do it sitting in the boat, okay? I tried that. You, you actually have to get out of the boat and plop yourself into the water, which where I learned to water ski in Lake Michigan is quite frigid, okay? You have to get uncomfortable to become a water skier. You get out of the boat, which is relatively stable, and you go into the murky stuff where the little beings are underneath wanting to, you know what I'm saying? When you can't see and you don't know what's going to bite your foot. That's discomfort. And then what you do in water skiing is you stick these enormously awkward boards on your feet and they suction to your feet like they're just going to suck your feet into eternity. And you, you sit there in the freezing cold water with these awkward uh, skis sticking up at all angles and you've got this rope with a little bar and you're holding on to it and, and for some reason what seems logical to you is to look at the person behind the wheel of the boat and say, Go! When you look at their face, the evil grin on their face, you realize this was a very bad idea. But it's too late because they go, right? 
And so what happens at, in, on the pro, in the process of becoming a water skier is you get real uncomfortable, you stick yourself in a strange spot, you're, you're completely vulnerable, you grab onto something, and you look to someone else and say, let's give it a whirl. And then the boat starts, and gradually you're pulled along in the water, and you begin to feel pressure. You, feel, you start to feel pressure in your legs, and pressure in your back, and pressure on your arms. And you get about halfway up water skiing, about halfway up. And the most natural thing in the world, the most logical next action that you have, you're thinking to yourself, I'm almost up. I'll just pull myself up. At which point you disappear in a big pile of water and the sharks get happy. (laughs) How many of you got up water skiing the very first time you did it? You did? It just figures there'd be one. Oh, you didn't. Good. You don't because you're right there and you think, I'm, I've gone this far. I can do it. And you pull yourself up. And if you just think, it makes so much sense. But here's the deal. You don't become a water skier under your own power. You only do it under the power of the boat. And you only do it in community with the driver. That's the only way it happens. You have to trust that there's a power force that is actually able to bring you through this water to this miraculous place where you're on top of the water. And the joy and the exhilaration of water skiing, it's like, I mean, it's it's, it's a wild feeling. It's completely unnatural. It's supernatural. And that's what the process of spiritual formation is like. We, we have to jump out of the boat. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to stick on some disciplines that feel really uncomfortable. We have to do it in community. And then we have to be willing to say, okay, Jesus, hit it. What do you want to do? We've got to be willing to take some risk. It's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. It's like physical growth. We cooperate with it. We wonder at it. It's sometimes joyous and sometimes painful. It's the gift of God. And at the same time that it's a process, and it's a process that God drives and God initiates, somehow our choices count. Isn't that strange? God is the one who forms us into the image of Jesus. And yet he's given us a unique power, like the ability to cooperate with him or not. We can say yes and we can say no. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I read this a couple of weeks ago. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part that chooses, think your heart, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with your innumerable choices, this is your whole life with all your choices, all your life long you're slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Leave it to C.S. Lewis to make you feel real encouraged, right? But you know what? C.S. Lewis was a man who knew the joy of discipline having done its work 
and also the pain of life between the times. And so every choice, every day, we have a choice. Please don't hear me say, you choose ill, you go to hell. I'm not saying that. But every day we cooperate with what God is doing. We're being formed at all times. We're being formed when we open the scriptures and look to Jesus. And, when we're, and we're being formed when we open anything else up and look to it to satisfy our soul. We're always being formed. Our choices count. At any point in life, we're moving towards a greater integration or disintegration. At any point in our lives, with our choices, we're becoming more whole or more deformed. And God trusts us with that power. That's the awesome thing. Is God says, this is a process and I want you to be a part of it. And it's like he, he gives us a little piece of saying yes or no. Spiritual formation is a process. So the question is, are you moving in the right direction? In this process of becoming like Jesus, are you moving in the right direction? Are you becoming more like Christ? Or the other thing? And if you have this sense inside, well, I, well, I, really, I really don't feel like day by day I'm becoming more like Christ. There's, there's an answer for you this morning. There's a gift for you this morning. It's the gift of Repentance. The gift of repentance. You actually get to look in the eyes of Jesus and say, I'm going to change my mind today. I'm going to use the will that you've given me and I'm going to choose to walk towards you. I'm not going to choose to make myself perfect. I'm going to choose to look at the perfect one and let him have his way with me. Repentance is a gift if you're walking in the wrong direction. So spiritual formation is a process and it's a process of being conformed to the image of Jesus. Of being conformed. It's a passive process that we're a part of in some mysterious way. It's a passive word, being conformed. So when in, uh, in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He does not say, and do not be conformed to this world, but transform yourself. He doesn't say it. If he would, it would be a command that we were unable to comply with. Because it's a passive process. It's a work that God does. The, the question at hand in this part of the definition is, who's in control of your walk with God? Who's in control of your walk with God? Is it you or is it God? Have you determined how it is that you will do God's will in your life? Or have you determined to let God determine that for you? And I know that that sounds like semantics. But you know deep in your heart if you're grasping for control. You know deep in your heart if you're manipulating God for your own purposes. You know deep in your heart if you're controlling all the things around you to make you how you think you should be. And again, the gift of God is you can let go. You know, the grasping, the controlling is like trying to pull yourself up on those skis. As logical as it seems, it ends in failure every time. You've got to trust the power source. And this is where we get to, day by day, trust that God is leading and initiating and will complete the process 
of conforming us into the image of Jesus. Transformation is a gift. It's grace in the end that we cooperate with. So Dallas Willard says it like this, Christ-likeness of the inner being, it's not a human attainment. It's finally a gift of grace. Though we must act, the resources for spiritual formation extend far beyond the human. They come from the interactive presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who place their confidence in Christ. And they also come from the spiritual treasures, the people, the events, traditions, teachings stored in the body of Christ's people on earth, past and present. What's he saying? He's saying we cannot form ourselves into the image of Jesus all by ourselves. We're dependent upon God and, and the people who've walked with God in the past. You know, you're dependent upon the person sitting next to you for your spiritual formation. How scary is that thought? No, that's a beautiful thought. Sitting next to you is the image of Jesus. Walking with you through life is someone who bears God's presence. And God's using them, sometimes whether you like it or not, to help you become more like him. We can look to the first five centuries of the church. Read the old books, not just the new books. How did they go after Jesus? How did my parents go after Jesus? How is my spouse going after Jesus? How do people from other faith traditions go after Jesus? How do those people I disagree with theologically go after Jesus? Boy, if we would expand ourselves a little bit and trust God in the process, we might learn a ton about what it looks like to become like Christ. So God's in control of the process and he does the transforming and what we do is the surrendering. And so it's, it's hard maybe to take sometimes, but right now God is using the situation in your life to make you like Jesus. Some of you are like, that's good. This is a great season. You know, this is growth spurt time. This is eat as much as I want. My metabolism will take care of it time, right? <laughs> yeah, all the 15-year-olds are like, yeah. And the rest of us wear shirts outside of our pants. <laughs> but some of us are in more difficult times. Some of us are in pruning times. Some of us are in forming times. Some of us are in those times where God's saying, I love you so much, I'm going to have to pull that away. You know, sometimes he has to be like a, like a doctor, like a physician, like a surgeon, and say, you know, in order to really heal that, I'm going to have to break it again. So I can set it aright. That's called redemption and restoration. And, and we can trust the great physician to act on our behalf like that. That's what it means to be formed and reformed by Jesus himself. And so as much as you might not always want to hear it, we sing the song, Romans 8.28 is still true. God is able to work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The things you don't want, he can use for good. The things you long for, he can use for good. 
Bill Johnson out in Reading says, God can win with a pair of twos. It doesn't mean that God dealt you the bad hand, but he can win with it. He'll use whatever is in your life to make you like Jesus. In that way, God is incredibly efficient. He loves you that much. Our parts surrender. God, use it. Do it. Cut it. Carve it. Beat it. Whatever you need to do, we submit. So the question here is, who's in control of your spiritual life? Is God, God in your life on your terms or on his terms? Just let that one settle down. Is God, God in your life on your terms or on his terms? Who wrote the contract between you and the Lord? Who, whose design are you following? Don't hear condemnation. Don't hear accusation here. I'm, I'm just asking you to, to, to surrender once again control of this thing that only God can do. Christian spiritual formation. Just give it back to him. Some people in this room, I might ask to take this off the CD later, but I'll say it for now. Some people in this room, the best thing you could do is stop having quiet times. The best thing you could do is stop striving. Now, if you haven't prayed or read your Bible in the last two years, don't listen to what I'm saying, okay? You got another thing to do. But some of us strive and strive and strive and we work and we work and we work and we're trying to pull ourselves up and we keep failing. And the Lord's saying, let go. God's speaking to you, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted in the heavens. That's the promise when we let go. Is God God in your life on his terms or yours? And the answer to this question determines the nature of your spiritual journey. <clears throat> so spiritual formation is a process and it's a process of being conformed into the image of Christ. A very specific thing that God's making us into. He's got a chisel. He's feeding us. He's nurturing us. He's pruning us and growing us. And when he looks at us, He's got something in mind. His son, Jesus. It's like, oh, I know what I'm going to do with John. I'm going to make him just like Jesus. This is going to be great. And every single one of us is that masterpiece that the Lord's working on. Forming, lovingly, touching us every day in the most tender and intimate and sometimes painful ways to express his love for us. It's bold what God's doing. So I just want two scriptures, two quick scriptures on this uh, part of the process that we are um, conformed to the image of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote both of these sentences. Colossians, Colossians 1.19, he's, he's talking about Jesus here. And he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. From that verse and others, we get our doctrine of the divinity of Christ. We say, oh, the, the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. He was fully God. He's also fully man. We can't figure out how that works. But the exact phrase is, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is praying. 
And in his prayer for the Ephesians, and in his prayer for us who would believe, he says this, And I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all, what? The fullness of God. It's the exact same phrase. I read the Greek version too. It's the exact same words. What in the world is going on? God is fully intent upon making us like Jesus. I just want you to feel real uncomfortable with that. I am not saying we become God. I'm not saying we become a God. What I am saying is God formed us in his image and his purpose in this life is to make us look like Jesus. That the fullness of God would be manifested through us. How much glory does God get when he takes a broken, frail human like us and then show the fullness of himself through us? That's incredible. And so just wrestle with how big this is, how awesome this is. You know, this is not just God, you know, sitting up in heaven with the Holy Spirit and the Son saying, you know, I got an idea. Let's throw a little Jesus at him. Let's, you know, let's dress him up a little bit, make him look better. Maybe then more people would come to church. No. They're like, I know what we'll do we will show them through the mystery of the incarnation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, how to relate to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so they walk around in the world, and when people encounter them, they have an encounter with us. That's a pretty big deal, and we're a part of that. It's a process. It doesn't happen like this. God's in charge of that process. We can't make it happen but there's a very clear goal. It's that we would walk around and look like Jesus and speak like Jesus and think like Jesus and emote like Jesus and love like Jesus and act in power like Jesus so that Jesus gets the glory. It's a a phrase that Mike Bickle uses out at the House of Prayer in Kansas City. He calls it the principle of beholding. And I, I say it a lot because it, it gives me such a good picture of a lifestyle of Christ-likeness. He says, we become like that which we behold. What we look at, we begin to look like. The more we gaze at something, the more we live out that thing. The more we gaze upon Jesus, the more we'll look like Jesus. The more we open the scriptures and live in the life of Christ, the more we will live out the life of Christ the more we open up the self-help books and the philosophies of this day, the more we will live out humanistic, powerless, hopeless destinies. We become like that which we behold. So the question is, what are you gazing at? What are your eyes fixed upon? Would you be willing to fix your eyes on Jesus again? For me, that's a daily choice. No, an hourly choice. No, (laughs) that's every moment. Honestly, sitting right here and speaking to you this morning, when I say something and you laugh, I have to make the choice. Will I focus on that or Jesus? 
Well, I'm doing pretty good now. No. I don't want you to go away and say, he's awesome. I want you to go away and say, Jesus is incredible. Look what he's invited us into. It's, it's a moment-by-moment choice where we fix our gaze. When we're looking at our, our spouses, will we see Jesus and treat them as such? When we're raising our kids, will we see Jesus and treat them as such? When we're, in, we're, we're doing our work for that heathen boss, will we see Jesus and work as unto him and not man? I mean, that's, that's the essence of living between the miracles. It's easy when the power of God comes and the, and the, you know, the sick are, are, are leaping with joy and the blind are seeing and the emotionally broken are being healed. Then it's easy to fix our eyes on Jesus. But it's in between the miracles where we've got to keep fixed on him, his eyes on us. Will you fix your gaze on Jesus for the purpose of being like him? And finally, spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus for real purposes, for God to be glorified, for our lives to be abundant, because that's what Jesus promises, John 10.10. And maybe if I can say most practically and importantly, for the sake of the world. Us turning in, looking like the image of Jesus is never so that we can set our own images up for other people to bow down in front of. It's never for us to parade ourselves like a trophy of of heaven. It's always to say, look what Jesus did for me. He can do it for you. Look how God healed me. He can heal you. Look, I'm a beggar and I found bread. Here's bread for you. Look, I lived a life that was marred by injustice and God gave me justice. He can give justice to you. Look, I didn't deserve mercy, but he gave me mercy. He'll be merciful to you. Becoming like Christ is always for the sake of the world. It's always the work of God in us and the work of God through us. It's, it's, it, in that way, it's like rain watering the earth, you know? The rain comes from heaven, but not just to soak into the earth never to be seen again, but to, but to nurture and to feed and to hydrate so that growth comes for us to eat and live on. It's the same way the Holy Spirit working in us to be like Christ is never for just our own satisfaction. Praise God we're satisfied in Him. But it's always that the life of God is built in us and then so fills us that we overflow. And we go around and we just can't help giving bread and water to the hungry and the thirsty. Sight to the blind. Compassion to the needy. Justice to the oppressed. I mean, that's just what it's all about. The question is, will you rearrange your life so that God can do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to pull some things out and put some things in, give some things up, take some things on? Are you willing to imitate Jesus between the miracles so that you can actually walk out the life of Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the challenge the privilege of Scripture that we see so clearly, you long and intend to make us like your Son. And God, we know we can't do it. So in that sense, Lord, we give up right now. But we give up. We look up to you. And we say, God, send your Holy Spirit 
and lead us into the process to be able to trust you that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus and him alone for the sake of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, communion servers, if you'd come forward, we'll um, take this opportunity to remember what Jesus did for us. Jesus was an example to us on earth. He came in the fullness of God and then he emptied himself for the sake of the world. And just now, as we take the elements, the bread and the wine or the juice, the body of Christ and his blood for us this morning, we are taking in, once again, the spiritual nourishment of heaven. This is the bread of heaven. This is the blood of Christ offered for you. If you've given your life to him, Jesus is within you. This is the gift of God for the people of God. If you've not given your life to Christ, if you're here seeking and wondering what it means to have a relationship with God, we bless you and are so thankful that you're here on the journey, that you trust us, you honor us with your presence. This specific act is for those who believe. And if you'd like to know more about a life with Christ, we'd love to pray for you afterwards, talk to you, give you resources, introduce you to the one who changes everything. So when you're ready, please come forward.